0: Ladies and gentlemen, as part of the Jeremiah Show, It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Now here's the host of the show, a man who once saw screen legend Jimmy Stewart get directions from his doctor on how to use an enema. It's TV's Tim Stack. Yay! Tim Stack. TV's Tim Stack. Episode number three. We are building a library. of It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Anyway... Uh, It's fun. I'll quickly tell the Jimmy Stewart story, because it was kind of crazy. I had a doctor in Beverly Hills. This is like 1985, maybe. And somehow my wife knew somebody and got us an appointment with this. He was a very waspy, L.A. country club kind of doctor named Dr. William Weber Smith. And he treated all the stars. And I was in there. I don't know how he let us see him. And I I had a flu or something. I don't know. I was in the waiting room. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there by myself and Jimmy Stewart walks out of the doctor's office and I'm just like, oh my God, it's Jimmy Stewart. It's Jimmy Stewart and he's three feet away from me. And then he turns and he talks to the nurse and the nurse hands him a package. Now, I don't do a good Jimmy Stewart impression, but he said to the nurse, so uh, uh, tell me, um, how does this animal work? And I'm three feet away from him. And she said, well, uh, Mr. Mister Stewart, it's best that, that your wife puts the enema in. And he said, are, 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 are you telling me I've got to ask my wife to do this? <laughs> and I'm listening to this whole thing. And it's just crazy. It's Jimmy Stewart, but he's talking about an enema. He finally goes, okay, I think I got it. And he turns and walks by me like nothing had happened and just said, hello. And walked out of the office anyway. That's my big Jimmy Stewart story. Um, so I'm very excited to have an old friend uh, and a guest and a very talented comedy writer as a guest today. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna introduce him on the other side of this clip because I think this clip represents maybe our best work together. So I'm gonna leave it at that and Dr. D's gonna play the clip. It's
1: bad enough. We have no customers today because it's a holiday and everybody's with their stupid families. But then this drunk guy gets up and he kicks us off the stage.
0: Chicks and ducks and geese better scurry. When I take you out in the sorry. When I take you out in the sorry with the fringe on top. Mm-hmm. Treat. Usually when Mr. Stack gets drunk and forces his way into a stage, he does my fair lady. Oh, the wheels are yellow, the upholstery's brown, dashboards genuine, leather. Okay, we'll get a little drum roll. And here he is. He's a producer, writer on shows like Modern Family, 30 Rock, Mixology. I've never heard of that. Anyway, you can tell me about that. Trophy Wife. My name is Earl, which we're going to talk a lot about. He's the co author of the book The Ridiculous Race 26,000 Miles, Two Guides, One Globe, No Airplanes, paperback. And he also has a new uh, graphic novel out online that I just hit yesterday that's so funny that I can't wait to talk about called GeniusAnimals.net. And like so many of my guests, he owes everything to me. You can follow him at The Real Volley. It's Volley Shunter Socran. Yay! listen, to that applause for you, (laughs) Vali.
1: I mean, it's great. We're here at the Hollywood Bowl. It's wonderful (laughs) to see all these people. To see
0: 20,000 people like that for this podcast
1: is... Come here so many years for concerts and to be on this stage in person.
2: It's it's a delight.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine how many people would actually show up at the Hollywood Bowl to watch (laughs) us do this? I couldn't even get family there. (laughs) your kids are young they might listen to you and have to come uh dad's at the bowl anyway volley welcome thank you uh that clip was from an episode of my name is Earl that volley and I well our names are on called uh, our other cops is on you remember that volley
1: yeah I remember we did a cops parody I think you did you write the
0: first one I think I wrote the first one and then uh, I guess they liked it
1: yeah, it was great. And we did a second one. It was kind of, it must have been late in the season or something when. They needed a story. <laughs> <laughs> and and we, 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 we must have split scenes and written, written it together. Like, it's so long ago. But I, as soon as I heard you sing it, yeah. I remembered it.
0: Yeah. And then I got, remember fun. we went off one night. We went off. They were filming. We were off. I said, hey, Vali, want to go smoke a cigar? He said, yeah, I'll smoke a cigar. And we went off. We went about a 200 yards from the set. And I guess the wind took the to cigar smoke. And Greg came running down to us like, you guys can't smoke. What are you doing? We're at work. <laughs> We're actively working. I remember,
1: I think it was Rick. He came over yes. and was like, can you guys please put this out? Yeah. Everybody's complaining.
0: <laughs> Nobody else is allowed to smoke. Why should you? Um, so, Vali, I want you to tell your story of how you got to Hollywood. And my name is Earl. And then I'll tell you my side of your story. Okay? Oh, I love this. Because I was sitting next to you so on that day. So uh, go ahead. Tell your story. Because I, I it is really I interesting. I just
1: remembering that, that on my very first day in a writer's room, I sat next to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to hear your version of it. <laughs> but I wanted to be, my background is, I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania called Athens, Pennsylvania. It was right on the New York border. I graduated high school in 1999 and I desperately wanted to be a comedy writer. Like I would stay up late at night and I would just invent reasons to be able to stay up late to watch Letterman and Conan. So I would, in order to not get yelled at by my parents, just say I was studying and then I would just, you know, read my history textbooks or do homework or something like that. That way I could watch those shows and be up late at night. And I had no idea... How to do this. I was in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. This is kind of before the internet. I didn't have an email address or anything like that. And I remember going to one of those big books in Barnes and Nobles that are like profiles of 50 colleges by Barrett. Yeah, sure. And through it and seeing this one entry saying that the, the lampoon at Harvard seemed to feed a lot of writers to the David Letterman show. And it was the first time that it ever – I never even occurred to me. The first time I ever thought, like, oh, Dave's not just sitting at that desk (laughs) coming with all of of that stuff up in real time. He
0: doesn't come up with 90 minutes a
1: night? (laughs) I have – and watch everybody's movies and read everybody's book and have banter with Paul. And immediately I was like, that's what I want to do. Like, I never wanted to be Dave. I wanted to be the guy who wrote Does It Float? or like went down to the Rupert's Deli and came up with, right. with those bits. And this was even before YouTube. So I never even seen older stuff. Like what I remember coming to my name is Earl and you would tell me like, do you remember <laughs> brother, brother Theodore? And I would say, what? i never heard of brother <laughs> Theodore. And everything was getting uploaded to YouTube at the time. And you would show me all these amazing bits of people who were on the show before that kind of, They were such weirdos that you probably couldn't find them again afterwards. So I went to college. You went to Harvard. I went to Harvard. I still didn't know how to become a comedy writer. I studied computer science like a good Indian boy. (laughs) I graduated from college. I wanted to move to LA, but I just, you know, I still didn't really know how to make it. So I got a job at this company called Boston Consulting Group. It's a strategy consulting company. I worked there for a year and a half and I still can't really tell you what they do, but there's companies like McKinsey and Bain and BCG, but they had an office in LA and I got a job there and I would go there. And the fun thing about that job was it allowed you to go to a, a bunch of different workplaces. There would be a project where we we were at Avery Denison in Santa, Santa Ana, and I never heard of Avery Denison before, but they make like all of the office products and highlighters that you sell at Staples. So I'm at this place where that's their job. They're they're an office supply company, and they manufacture all of this stuff in, you know, Southern California and Mexico and yeah. China. And it's and I'm, you're sitting there trying to figure out like, how do you help this company be profitable when they sell? highlighters which are like nine (laughs) cents each and you're like okay if we can make these seven cents each this company will turn a profit or it was a weird insight into the kind of jobs that people had all over all over the country and all over the world and i remember i was terrible at it and i i hated it and i just thought like i can't i can't live my whole life Doing this not because I didn't like the work, but because I really, really, really wanted to write jokes for David Letterman. Right. And I like if I didn't take that shot, I wouldn't, I would never be able to like sit there and just keep going to the office every day. I had to like fail at that in order to enjoy.
0: You know. Sure, of course. No, that's a good way to go at it. Yeah, I mean, you give it a give it a shot. If it doesn't work, you can go back to uh, highlighters in Santa Ana or wherever it was
1: completely and the other part of it was it was like the movie office space because i was hired as a consultant we would come in and, and do this work of saying like this is how you drop the highlighter price by two cents so everybody <laughs> company, that sounds hated. really funny <laughs> they hated us they, because we i was like 22 years old and you're I telling them this business, and i'm like let me tell you something about highlighters. Just like, <laughs> I don't know anything about highlighters. And this is the only thing I do at my work for you. So it was kind of an unpleasant experience because I wanted to do this other thing. And the people I was working with just despised me. It was That's very so good. funny. And as I'm thinking about those meetings, I'm like, yeah, you're right. Uh, why would you listen to me? Like, You should hate me right now. Right. So I had some friends who had just who graduated a year above me and they, and they, they had just started getting work. And I would write spec scripts in my free time. And I don't know that people now, they all write pilots when they're trying to break yes. in. I The time people said like, watch episodes of TV shows that you love and then try and write a funny episode of that show. Yeah, I wrote A Curb Your Enthusiasm. It was terrible because <laughs> I loved that show. Yeah. And then my friends told me the, the the advice that I think is the best advice, which is, this is not good enough and you're not going to make this script good enough because you just don't have enough reps as a writer. So put it aside in five years, you'll, you'll understand why this script isn't good enough and just start writing something else. That's good advice. And I, it's actually the advice I give the most right now, which is this is pretty good, but it's not quite good enough yet. So try something else. And so I watched, I I wrote a two and a half men because I, that show had a lot of jokes in it and I really loved, jokes so i wrote an episode of two and a half men i gave it to some friends and i've written a bunch of stuff in between i'm skipping over a lot of steps yeah <laughs> i gave some friends and they gave and they my friend danny chung gave it to his agent and said because he said i think you finally wrote something that's like decent that's good enough he gave it to his agent at the time i was working in san francisco at this medical devices company
0: yeah this is oh. what i remember keep going
1: yeah and we were trying to figure out how they should enter the colonoscopy market. It was a small medical devices
0: company. Here's a hint. Use a highlighter.
1: <laughs> That's all <laughs> I knew. So they, of course, you call me, the guy who just dropped the highlighter, sure. <laughs> tried and failed to drop highlighter caused by two cents. <laughs> so they said, like, we have, we have a couple of me- uh, medical devices. We have an endoscope that goes into your mouth. Uh, colonoscopes are a big market and we're trying to figure out, should we develop our own or should we buy another small company? And as part of this figuring out how they should attack this problem, my boss told me like, Bali, can you try and figure out how many colonoscopies are going to happen in the United States and in the United, in the European union for the next 10 years? Okay. Give me five minutes. Yeah. So I just built this gigantic Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) I'm working on it. I'm in this windowless conference room, room in san francisco. i'm staying I'm staying at a nice hotel. I'm staying at the W Hotel, and it's fun to be in San Francisco when you're young. But I knew a couple people there. But you can't call your friend every night right. you know, <laughs> when you're there for several months. So I'm not loving this job. my I, My script is out, and my the agent that my friend happened to give it to, his, he happened to have staffed all of his other writers that year, and it was two weeks after upfronts, which I don't know that matters anymore, but upfronts for people who don't know is every year, all of the TV show, TV networks announce their fall schedule to all the advertisers. Right.
0: It used to be a big deal.
1: It used to be a big deal. And everybody used to get hired right in those next two weeks. And that's when you would know if you're working for the next year.
2: Yeah. It was a
0: really
1: stressful time for a writer. I didn't know anything about this. I, my agent happened to have staffed everybody else, said, I'll take a flyer on this kid. I started going on meetings. My, I told my boss, because I was in San Francisco and I kept coming back to LA, uh, that I had to go to doctor's appointments. He was like, <laughs> Ironically, for a fun. colonoscopy. Yeah, you're like, you're 21-year-old. Like, what, what kid has to see the doctor this frequently? Are you dying? But I didn't want to know, tell him because I was like, if he, they know I'm yeah. trying to quit, I'm going to lose this job. And then I won't be a TV writer and I won't have my current job. My sister graduated from high school around that time. And my family had never been on vacation to Europe. And my dad and mom were taking the two of us there. And it was a big deal. So I flew home for my sister's graduation, and I didn't tell them I wanted to be TV writer either. And I got off the plane, and I tell them like I'm I'm so excited to be here for Soma's graduation, but I I can't go to Europe. I don't have a TV job but I might get a TV job. And apparently they all start like next week. So my agents told me, I have agents by the way, my parents don't know anything that's happening. It's I have so all a secret. <laughs> I said like, I ha- if I get a job, it's gonna start next week and I can't be in Europe and say I'll show up later. So can is it okay if I don't go? And my parents, because I was so risk averse, like I i, I you had know, gotten with computer science degree, I had this job. And I said, if I doesn't work out, I'll go to business school, I promise you. And I was really, they could see in my face, like, I, I really story. did not want to do this. And then, so the next day after my sister's graduation, I flew back to LA. My parents went to Europe uh, and had a great time. I started going back to work. I had a vacation schedule and that company was so horrible. I was like, ah, I'm coming back to work. Nobody asked any questions of like, why aren't you going to Europe with your family? That sounds wonderful. And, and what I was working with a doctor. For, yeah. I was working for two more weeks thinking like, what am I doing? I made a horrible mistake. In that t- time I had met Greg Garcia. Sort, I, I had a blast meeting him. I'm from a really small town. The show was, uh, my name was set in a small town. And I remember going back from the windowless conference room by myself, getting a phone call from my agent saying, Greg hired you. I went back to the hotel and I was, I'd been staying there for months and I was in such a good mood that when I went through the lobby, I must've been basically like moonwalking through the place. (laughs) Cause I get up to the room and I get a little, a knock at my door and someone had brought up a martini and there was a note from the front desk saying like, Mr. Chandler Shaker, you're such a wonderful guest to have here. Like we just wanted to give you a martini to like say, thank you. And I was like, Oh, I was so happy because I knew I would never be coming here again because <laughs> I got another job and I could quit this current job. That I was just exuding positive rays. That they were like, "Let's buy that guy a drink." And I
2: okay, put
0: that- we're gonna take a break. We're gonna uh, I, now we're gonna pick it up on the B side of this spot, and you're gonna hear my, my version
2: <laughs> of
0: Volley's story. Okay, let's take a quick break. It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. I'm talking to the real volley, Vondra Shandr And uh, I also got to plug Sprung, but I'll do that at the end. Uh, Anyway, we'll be right back for more of It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Okay, Vali, (laughs) while that song is playing, do you remember when I brought that in? I think we were sharing an office at one point, and i had seen the film Ghost World, and they used that clip at the top of Ghost World, and it was this Really cool '60s hip Bollywood scene, and I came into work and I showed you on YouTube, and I said, "Vali, what does this mean?" And you said, why Why would I know what it means?" And I said, "Well, you're you're Indian," and you said, "Well, Tim, it's like I, there's a thousand different languages there and different, you know, it's almost like different countries within India, which I never knew because I'm such an idiot, and so, you know." uninterested in the world other than making jokes and watching youtube videos um but then you educate i I actually really appreciate it you educated me so much about indian culture and i love that stuff i'm so curious about all that kind of weird stuff that goes on in all kinds of cultures anyway do you remember that what me bringing that song in i do remember is that the one with the dwarf no, it's this uh it's this guy. It's in a it's in a really hip nightclub and all the dancers wear masks and they all do this kind of like twist thing with their hands and and they play electric guitars and it's I just thought it was the coolest thing and obviously whoever did Ghost World found it long before me and thought it was cool too and put it in. But I want to go back to you that first day because <laughs> You were sitting next to me and I just kept looking next to you and and you were so nervous. Like yeah. sweating nervous. Yeah. Like <laughs> and I think at one point we took a break and somebody came up to me and he's like, hey, is uh that guy gonna be all right? Is what's going on there? And then finally you told your story and I remember you were I think you you might have come to work and then you were going back for the for the graduation. But my favorite thing was that you told me that you said, I haven't given notice at work yet because I don't know that this is, if I can do this or I even like being in a writer's room. And then by the end of the day, you were quitting. You were (laughs) like, we had so much fun at Earl. You just said, "I, I can never go back to counting highlighters or colonoscopies, whatever it is. And then the other thing I remember was you were really fearful about telling your parents because like, what, comedy, what are you, you're, you're giving up business and you, am I right about that? Totally. Yeah. I mean, my parents are immigrants.
1: They moved here from India and like I studied computer science and yeah, I, you did everything I, right. I kind of was like, I don't, I'm not going to do this thing that, you know, your move was worth it because your yes. kids are going to be settled and fine in this world and have a stable job. Instead, I'm going to go into a, a career that I'm even lying to you about how stable it is. <laughs> I'm still worried <laughs> about, about how I'm going to make a living.
0: <laughs> it's so funny, but I just like the look on their face, and it reminds me I don't know. I have a good friend, Barry Finero, writer, and I remember he was going off to Hollywood. He tells his parents, I'm moving to Hollywood to be a writer. And his mother said, what are you going to write? And he said, well, I'm going to write comedy. I'm going to be a comedy writer. She said, Barry, you're not funny. (laughs) Bob Hope's funny. You're not funny. I'm begging you. Don't do this. And then he had the last laugh because he ended up winning Emmys for Golden Girls. And Bob Hope was on an episode and they brought his parents out and they met Bob Hope. Anyway, it reminded me of that. So I I do want to talk. There's so much I want to talk about. Um, and Harvard, you, you mentioned the Lampoon. Did you work at the Lampoon?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wanted to be on there so badly. When I submitted my application, I wrote comedy pieces and turned them in with my college applications. <laughs> initially, as, as if they had anything to do with that. Right. I cared. I just knew nothing. But I was like, I want this so badly." And I, and, I, and I joined my freshman year,
0: and a lot of my best friends to this day are, are from there. And is that place um, – I think I used to ask you questions about it. There's a little bit of a Harvard lampoon mafia in entertainment, which is fine. You know, great. You can get the work. Great. Um, was that place very political?
1: I uh, I don't know. I, I think, like, one thing that I, I never tried to fix about myself is I'm, like, kind of stupidly naive about The politics? politics. Um, uh, and that are, that is happening, and uh, I think if you like establish that as like how you go through the world, sometimes you get to like you get affected by it, but you don't internalize it. And right, kind of enjoy, it. and especially now, my wife is an actual politician, politician, talk, you and you want I want to, to let a lot of stuff roll off of me. But I would say the answer is definitely yes, and I think I was very
0: nicely able to not be not be part of that yeah i did what's interesting is that that it's what i'm getting at is if it trained you politically because so many shows become political you know like the short time i was at saturday night live it's very it was very very political there of who was you know who was in with who and different camps and phil hartman used to tell me like He really, he sort of took your attitude, which was he completely stayed away from it. And by the end of his time there, he was in every sketch. You know, he just let his talent sort of take him up. But I was curious if it was sort of a training ground for not just writing, but also the politics.
1: You know, I bet it is because you're like, you're right. The writer's room and shows are just it's group dynamics and you don't know who you're going to be popped in with. I've been pretty fortunate in my career, like my name is Earl was one of the best jobs of all time, and that the people there were so great that it we didn't have to deal with it that much. but uh, I mo- I mo- I think I'm also very fortunate in that I'm getting the sense I never knew Phil Hartman, but i I would get stories from you because like everybody I was obsessed with him. I let. I, I like making TV fine, but what I really love is sitting in the writers' room with really funny people. Yes, popping it up about stuff, and that is since that's what I love. I I was able to like do that as much as I can.
0: Yeah, no, it is. It's fun if you're in the right room. It's so much fun, and you hit the right room on your first job. How oh, that was one question I wanted to ask you because then you went from Earl, which was one room. And then you went to Thirty Rock, correct? Yeah. And were they different? I'm not asking you to disperse either one. Were they different? They were
1: really different in ways that I don't think I appreciated at the time. Because Earl, I remember you told me Earl was my first job ever. So I showed up. I was. I remember as you were even describing it. I remember how terrified I was. <laughs> Every, I got there. Everybody was so funny right off of the bat and i couldn't believe how funny everybody was They're just coming up with stuff on the fly and i remember i wasn't able to think that fast during that period i used to try and take documents and write stuff out in advance and i would try and say one thing before lunch and one thing after lunch that's a great rule that was my only way to get through the day if i could hit that goal and because I'm also just a naturally kind of shy person and everyone is, was a big, like funny personality, even shy writers in a writer's room that have run well. And Greg ran a great, great writer's room. Everyone feels comfortable. And to Greg's credit, uh, he got, he pulled that out of me too. But you told me, Bali, you have no idea what a great room this is. Like the fact that it, it's so nice and th- we understand the show and the cast is great and people like the show, this never happens. And I understood it as you were saying it intellectually, but emotionally I didn't get it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> until, until later. And it was a really fun thing about that room in that a lot of the people on that show didn't know each other before. You, Mike, Penny, and Greg, had all worked with each other before? No,
0: yeah, I I had met Mike Penny. I'd never worked with him, and every but Greg and I went way back. Yeah,
1: and then everybody else was new to that world, so it was us finding out about each other.
0: Yeah, it was really fun.
1: And it was that was season one, and then I I joined Thirty Rock in season four, and I was a huge massive fan of that show. I loved it, the comedy of it. And I joined there, and I knew one person there who was a friend of mine, but I didn't know anybody else. And so everyone knew each other. They're all from New York. And they had invented this thing already that had won the Emmy three years in a row by the time I showed up. And so I showed up in season four, and I was trying to fit into that world. And it was a very Saturday night live world. And I was scared. Like I moved from LA to New York. I was engaged, but not married then. So I didn't have a family to worry about. But there was very much a, an issue of that season came out, and it was the first time that like people would bother to say online bad things about the show. And you would just, you would read the I would read the reviews. on the you know, and sometimes go in and wonder if my bosses had read the review and wonder if they thought it's your well, fault. What's, what's different about this season?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, there he is. Yeah, Mister Highlighter doing? over there. <laughs> um, <laughs> quickly tell, because yeah. you told me which I was fascinated, and and not there's any comparison in the success of shows, but having been an actor on a show and also being one of the writers, um, Tina Fey, you told me that that I was fascinated by this that the writers would go to her apartment at night, and then she would go to bed. Is that right? Yeah, I mean Tina. Uh, Tina and Robert Carlock, both of them individually
1: are amazing, and together it's unbelievable. But you know, T- she could do everything, but her hours were limited by she had to wake up for Paul because she was in almost every scene of that series, and she also needed to sign off on scripts and help us rewrite it. And she got to be a little bit to outsource a little bit more of that as the years went on, and we figured out the show. Uh-huh. But not that much. She's still there. So sometimes we would work late. We would break and go grab dinner or we would order dinner. And some of us would go to her house in the city, pitch to her. And she had a baby that too. And then <laughs> it's so crazy. Go to, she might have to go to bed and we would, we would do, we would pitch sort of quietly so we wouldn't wake up and do a little bit of a rewrite. Or we would just get sign off on a couple of stories or a couple of episodes before before we had to leave. But I, I will say that happened a lot more in seasons one through three when they were inventing the show. Gotcha. And, and by the time I was there, it was a much more rare occurrence. When you
0: came along and ruined it. Yeah yeah I mean when I was bringing this voted in energy but <laughs> but you would what well, like you would get the notes would you would she go to bed and then you'd finish the work in her living room or you'd go back to the office
2: we
1: would, the office was in silver it was purely because of where everything was the office was in silver cup in queens and almost everybody lived in manhattan a couple of people lived in brooklyn and and then Tina also lived in Manhattan. So we would go. We if we left the office, going back to the office. Op- I don't. I, I think she was always there working with us while we were do while we were doing that.
0: Gotcha. Um, I think we're ready for another break. Uh, You're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack, my guest Vali Chandra Sokharan, whose book I want to talk about, GeniusAnimals.net. It's so funny, Vali. We're going to talk more about it, but it's just, I really, like, I was so pleasantly surprised. Not surprised, but just, uh, it wasn't just like, oh, this is really good, this is really good. I was really blown away. Like, laughing out loud and just amazed at the artwork and the thought that went into it but we'll talk more about that we'll take a break and we'll be right back
1: Hi, I'm Bali Shekran. I'm a television writer. I've worked for My Name is Earl, Modern Family, and 30 Rock. I recently wrote the graphic novel Genius Animals, which you can read for free at GeniusAnimals.net. It was nominated for an Eisner. I'm so excited to be here with my old friend. You're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack.
3: Charge. So take that, uh, It was so easy. Like taking candy from one of those guys who gives out candy at gay nightclubs. Oh, my God, please don't say anything. I'll give you Kenneth. <clears throat> well, as enticing as that is, I'm straight now. And I think that my future father-in-law needs to hear about Jack's Little.
0: I was going through clips of 30 Rock, and just Will Arnett on that show just killed me he just put me away of of that character of of and did his his wife was jack's daughter is that right his wife i think it was Or the chairman's Rick Horn, daughter Rick
1: horn's daughter yeah. yes <laughs> yes uh kathy geisway was her no not kathy Geiswey. that's the woman who does kathy
0: Yeah, but I don't think the actress ever had a line. She was just there. It was so funny that Will Arnett had married her and he was gay. And it was just, ugh, really, really. I don't think she had a line. And I
1: believe she was an extraordinarily talented Broadway actor.
0: (laughs) That's so funny. We had an actor on Son of the Beach, uh, Bob Ryan, his name was. And he was a really good actor. He'd gone to Dartmouth and trained and had done time at the Vic in london and he was an actor and he played a guy of course son of the beach he played this guy um who was completely paralyzed who 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 punched a keyboard in order to talk to get the robotic voice so he never actually got to speak and he did like 17 episodes and it was all just but he was such a good sport anyway it reminded me of that um so uh, i want to talk about we got We'll, we'll talk politics in the last segment, but I want to talk about the book. Uh, explain the book. It's I take it it's free, right? Anybody can look at it online. Yeah, you can. Re- the whole thing is free online.
1: There are print copies you can buy, but the book I I actually wrote that book as a screenplay when I was at Thirty Rock. I was then engaged to be married, maybe even married. My wife was then living in India. We worked really long hours so that if you got out early, you I stopped making plans with friends who lived in the city because I had to keep breaking plans all the time. Right. Cause you were working. So, and so then sometimes when we would, we would finish work, we would look at each other and be like, I want to go to a bar. <laughs> <laughs> we would just hang out with each other all the time. And if you didn't want to do that, I would go home and I'd, didn't want to really go to a party or I might want to just stay in and I wanted to write something and I kind of wanted it to just be fun. And I believe there was a radio show that you turned me onto coast to coast with Art Bell. Oh yeah. And I loved that show. It I used to great. listen to it when I was in LA, George Nori was the host by the time I started listening to it. So I just subscribed and I used to just play it at night as I was doing whatever I was doing in my apartment in New York and it's a conspiracy theory radio show. And one thing I found so funny about it, and you and I have talked about this, Tim, is that George Nori would be talking, and he'd be, he'll be totally locked in. Someone will be calling him. They'll be talking yes. about how they had an out-of-body experience, and they saw the, their own their own vessel, and then they visited their relatives and things like that. And he's talking about his own experiences and he's really locked in. And then the next guest will be a woman who claims she's the reincarnation of the Virgin Mary. And George is in interviewing her normally, but you can tell that he's like, ah, okay, I know this woman is crazy. <laughs> and I, I thought the idea that he had that line, so funny, and he never gave it up. But you would it was sort of fun, the game of trying to figure out yeah. who George <laughs> Noreen thinks is crazy <laughs> and who he thinks is real. And it's not that easy to figure out. Like he believes in all sorts of things. And I just, I loved I, the X-Files and conspiracy theories and all of that stuff. It isn't back when, you know, in, in that era, conspiracy theories were fun. It was crop circles and alien visitors. It, they were conspiracies that made the world feel bigger. I feel like modern, like, conspiracy theories, like, make the world feel smaller and more dangerous and are not as fun. But I, I was thinking about that a lot, and I wanted to write a romantic comedy because I realized I'd never written anything about two people who were in love with each other. Mm -hmm. Especially on 30 Rock Tina made the genius decision of never getting Jack and Liz together to keep that tension. And they would kind of love each other as colleagues. And that's a big, big relationship that people have in their lives that we haven't seen on TV, but I'd never really done romantic love. And I thought, man, I wonder if there's a weird way to do a rom-com because I love watching those as well. And I kind of, via this world of conspiracies, like, came up with an idea that was really fun to write. And I have a friend who was an artist that I was starting communicating with. And we came up with the idea of turning the screenplay into a book, like,
0: 10 years later after I wrote it. Uh, it's really, really funny. I just, like, I kept seeing it. I mean, explain how the book lays out. You've got multiple chapters, correct? yeah it's multiple chapters but it's graphic art it looks like a cartoon you know like a comic book but it's so funny and clever and that was one thing that was really interesting to figure out we kind of put it together
1: during the pandemic and the artist and i were trying to figure out because we neither of us ever made a comic book before and it was really fun to make something that wasn't for money you know i was we were making it just because we loved this project and I would say, oh, this joke's not working. Like, I don't know why this joke isn't working. And I, and I would tell him, if we were on set filming an episode of My Name is Earl or Modern Family, I would say, like, play it more like Ed O'Neill. Throw it away more. Like, and don't, don't hit the joke as much. Yeah. And, I, and I would say, like, what, would, what can you do with the drawings? And sometimes it would be the text bubble. Sometimes he would move it together. But we figured out how, with him... And I I think there's further ways to go, like how to get comic timing in a graphic novel, which is something I'd never thought about before. And a lot of it was just lifted from, you know, Calvin and Hobbes and Uh like the funny pages, which there's, they were obviously those, those artists were fantastic at.
0: Yes. But one of the things I love about it, and and I'm not that familiar with graphic novels, so I, I don't know, this may be a standard thing, but one of the things I loved about it was you you would have several times where they're just pictures almost on an entire page with no dialogue in a cloud at all coming from a character. Yet, I found myself laughing and following the story at the same time. And was that's sort of what you're talking about, right? Like sometimes letting something yeah. breathe?
1: And that was discovery. In the script that I wrote, there's a section at the beginning, which is kind of the like, evolution of a relationship from meeting temp to, to the, the lead couple falling in love i had voiceover that i originally wrote in and it was kind of the first the flirting of the first night kind of covered the a montage of the couple falling in love and because i wrote always wrote for really talky shows like my name is earl was jammed with dialogue like yeah, every greg, greg is not afraid of long dialogue not at all. And I remember Alan Kirshenbaum being on the show it was fantastic. And he said, the key of this show is everybody does their setup and punchline themselves. Like <laughs> we didn't do it. We didn't do it the normal way where someone else sets it up. And, somebody, yeah. and then, but it was right. And then 30 rock was super talky and modern family was super talky. And I really like writing those those talky kind of shows and even the things that I love watching, like those Neil Simon plays and those Neil Simon shows. Yeah, sure. People learn wall-to-wall dialogue and I brought that here, but people don't really like reading that much in a graphic novel. It kind of, it takes you out of it. You're there. It's a different experience. So a big part of what I did was remove dialogue and I was always shocked at how much I could take away and have them have the story still come across. And in many ways, it was better. Like, I think that section with no dialogue is a lot of people's favorite section of the book because I think you interact with the page in a different way than if the dialogue is coming at you. 100%.
0: Yeah, it's really it was really fun. That's why it was just a new experience for me. I really, really enjoyed it. Again, if you go to GeniusAnimals.net, it's there for free. I am going to buy a copy, though, Volley because I want to support the family. Thank you. Thank you. That's... Um, but it's really worth a visit there to see this. It's just uh, I highly, highly recommend it. And I'm not done. I have more to go. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, how are we doing on time, Dr. D? OK, we got a couple minutes. minutes. Um, so now about Modern Family. So then you leave 30 Rock and you go to... What year in Modern Family? It must have been like year six, maybe? Exactly, year six. So
1: Modern, so I was at 30 Rock. 30 Rock won the Emmy for Best Comedy three years in a row. I show up at uh, season four. Modern Family wins it five years in a row. I show up in season six. You're the killer. <laughs> I remember interviewing... Emmy show, killer. <laughs> yeah. And saying like... Uh, i i would love the show i love the cub i do want you to know i feel like i have to be up front i have a bit of a cooler
0: <laughs> it's it's not a health issue it's not anything i do on purpose i just kill shows
1: yeah it's just, you'll stay on the air yeah it's just the fun
0: of your experiences creating it will drop significantly here's the good news you won't need a tuxedo this year <laughs> gain however much weight you need here In i am now, baby Volley's here, no tuxedo. Put that thing in the back of the closet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I was there. I started in season six, and I was there for five years. It was an absolute blast, and I, I, I had I joined that show before I had kids, and I, I never worked on a family show before, and and Thirty Rock was such a heightened reality. I really wanted the experience of writing on a show that felt more grounded because I didn't even know. I didn't have that speed and that muscle in me yet. So I wanted to see how, how, and lo- how I could lock into that. And another really fantastic stab. I had gone to a movie punch up their friend, Kate Cannon wrote the movie pitch perfect. And I oh. got to a punch up on that movie and I met one of the modern family writers there. And I remember afterwards we got along well. And He asked if I had ever been interested in working on modern family. And I, it's like, obviously, yeah, <laughs> that would be fantastic. And uh, I, I interviewed on it, and I, and I really loved the show. I loved writing in a different way, and I loved that staff a lot, too. It was a really, really skilled staff of really funny writers.
0: And one thing I skipped over also joining the staff of 30 Rock, it's really, and I've done this, where you join an existing show. And everybody has their own little language and inside jokes, and they're all high signs. And the best advice I can give anybody is, like, don't try to join in. That was my mistake at Saturday Night Live. Like, yeah, I'm funnier than anybody. It's like, let these people have their high signs and their inside jokes, and, you know, you'll you'll catch up to them. Was that your experience? Yeah.
1: I, I basically now realize that it will take – about a year to get any new show wasn't a long time. I yeah. know it sounds like, but that's the truth of it. Like yeah. everybody has, every group has their own dynamics and you don't really sink into it for a year. I think.
0: Yeah. So, okay. We're going to take a quick break. It's radio with TV's Tim stack. I'm talking to Vali Chandra soccer and, um, we got more to talk about his book, GeniusAnimals.net. I want to, uh, plug sprung right now the show i worked on for greg garcia that we've mentioned his name a few times it's on freebie there are four episodes out now it's really funny folly have you gotten to see it yet
1: i have not seen it yet i'm i'm very behind i'm catching up on stuff but it's on our list i've seen the trailer which is phenomenal
0: it's i, I gotta say i think it's and you've worked for him um and i i just think it's his best work also, because he he directed every episode, but he really thought about the camera and about the shot. and the the whole show has this very indie film feel to it. like it's shot in letterbox, yet there's comedy. They were like really funny comedy on screen. So I, it's just an interesting way to go, and I, I think it really works. So anyway, folks you can watch that. We'll be right back with more of its radio with TV's Tim Stack. Let's go! We're going to need a little extra time at airport security because I'm pretty sure they're going to want to patch it down.
2: Manny's with his father for the weekend, so Jay and I are flying to Vegas.
0: I'm a little torn because I want alone time with Gloria, but
3: I also like rubbing Manny's head for good luck.
0: Okay, we're back. We're talking to Vali Chandrasekharan, and that was a little clip from Modern Family. Um, I don't think you wrote that up. I was trying to find a no. relatively short clip, but... Um, and we've talked about that. So, was that show? Um, I understand that we're. I don't want to get into specifics. I would never say, but but, were there like separate writing rooms on that show, or or is that something we can talk about, or just move on? It, it wasn't that big of a deal.
1: I, the way the way single camera works Cause around
0: Hollywood, it was like it was like a big deal. So it's nice to hear that it wasn't a big deal
1: you know I, I think like production the showrunner wanted to be wants to be there all the time to watch everything because that was a show that in the blocking uh and wanting to make it feel really real in yeah. the documentary feel of the show you would want to be there to say like ah this feels awkward and, and just keep there was a lot of that show was energy of the camera movement and people moving around and The showrunner, we had two showrunners created together, and they wanted to all be there for all of their episodes. What they ended up doing was alternating episodes. So one guy was on stage the entire time. The other guy would be doing the script work on his show. Right. That makes sense. He would go there next week. And we kind of, the staff would go, would would be we'd work with, with whatever show was going on unless it right. was your episode then you would be there on to go through all the meetings and be there with the showrunner who was on stage but it was an interesting way to do it because it kind of kept as you know when you're doing 22 or 24 it can really exhaust the showrunner by the end of the season it kept those guys fresh
0: yeah i don't i mean greg i don't think we'll ever go back well of course you know with streaming it's like who's going to go back to 22 episodes i mean i guess some of the network shows but um i i kind of think those days are over these shorter orders are the way things are going um so now i want to talk about your wife um because i remember you were dating you you met in college correct tell us tell us about your wife who is your wife and what her job is
1: my my wife is Nithya Raman. She's a city councilor here in Los Angeles, and it's she represents. We live in Silver Lake. She represents a district that goes in, from Silver Lake through Los Feliz, through the Hollywood Hills, and Studio City, Sherman Oaks, Encino, and Reseda. So it's a half valley, hills, and then part of the uh, uh, the flat
0: section of. So how many people is that? That's about two hundred and fifty thousand people. See, I would have thought more after what you're describing of all that. I would have thought more. I it's have,
1: it's a big section. One thing to keep in mind is like
0: the hills. Oh, take up
1: a lot of space. Take up a lot. It takes up a lot of space, but it's not easy to get big buildings and stuff into the hills. And it's a little bit more spread out because right. of just the nature of architecture.
0: But, you know, I know because I spent a lot of time in L.A., that's a huge job. I mean, it's a really big it's not just a big deal job it's a job with a ton of responsibility am i right it's a big job i mean la is designed as kind of what's called a weak mayor city
1: in that the city councilors have a lot of say in their district about specifically over land use and they have a lot of discretionary funding like nothing can get built without the city councilor uh deciding to be, giving the approval to build it and a lot of how things are run. Her, her main issue was trying to address the issue of homelessness in the in the city,
0: which and she was doing back in college, wasn't she? An urban planning major, if I'm remembering correctly. She she was a she has an urban planning master's degree, right? Uh, from after
1: college, yeah, she's she even
0: smarter her. than you is what you're saying. By far,
1: <laughs> by far, and so she she's been working on urban property her whole life, and she came to LA and thought looked around and said like Why? Are we in one of the richest cities in the world? Right. There's all these people living on the street. And she took a job at the CAO's office, the city administrator's office, which decides how the city's actually spends the money of the city and did some research and pulled together and found out you're we spending a hundred million dollars a year on homelessness in LA. This was you know five years ago. And she said, to what end? Like what is where is all this money going? And it turned out most of it was going towards Throwing a homeless person in jail for three days, throwing all their stuff out, and then letting them out again and saying, "Why are you still homeless?" She right. Said, there has to be a better way. So she started this group in our neighborhood where they went around to every homeless person in Los Feliz in Silver Lake. And at first, they were just talking to them and saying, "Like, what's going about on? Life, what's going on?" And they learned a couple of things that surprised them. One is that most of them were from our neighborhood. They had family nearby, or they that's had interesting. Nearby. They may have even had a kid. Families are often willing to take in a kid, but then they live on the streets, or they might have some place to go for Thanksgiving or Christmas. And the other thing she realized is that they had almost no outreach. None of them knew about beds that were opening up that they could go sit in or places to go get food. And she invited the existing council members from those two areas to come visit, and none of them ever came. And then she got frustrated. She said, you guys are always talking about how this is a huge issue, but you're not doing any. You don't seem to actually care because we're doing stuff. So she decided to run. and It was kind of something we never expected. She never thought she would enter politics. That first event is, it was in our backyard. and It was all our friends. And we all said, like, well, we agree with this. We don't know if anyone else does, though. And she won. <laughs> And then she won. And now. It's like Trump. Wait, I won? What? <laughs> and it was a wild thing to watch uh, happen and to be part of in, in a small way. But now it's fun. It's given us a lot of, you and I have talked about this, Tim, a, a very fun insight into the city. The, the work is obviously very hard and very important. But she's and her team say, like, there's. Work is kind of boring, but we know what we need to do. You need to go to every homeless person every single day and see what they need, and to try and get them to accept housing while also building a bunch of housing and finding places for people to go. It's just a grind, and you need to do is have someone who's willing to do the grind. And then we go. We spend all week. She every night and all the time. She goes to events, and on weekends when the kids and I can join
0: her, we. Well, that's find what, I have, that's what I'm getting at. Is we we got Greg and I got a text from our friend Mike Penny. Who texted, I just got to meet the first gentleman. <laughs> and, and he had seen you at a softball game where she's throwing out the softball for the beginning of Little League over in the valley somewhere. And uh, yes,
1: in Sherman Oaks. She, th- that morning, it was a Saturday morning, she tells me, I'm throwing out the first pitch at Sherman Oaks Little League. And I kind of stopped and I said, Well, have you pr- practiced? And she said, No. <laughs> I said, Well,
2: if, look, you
1: should go, go to a park because the the pitcher's mound is a lot farther than you think it is when you're
0: standing out
1: there. That's funny. So she called a friend of hers and threw out a couple practice pitches before going.
0: Well, but, unfortunately, our time has come to an end. There were some other things I wanted to talk about. One of my favorite stories with you is when you went to smart camp. That And you <laughs> and you, and you see the kid who's 10 times smarter than you. It's just like, oh, my God, what am I going to do, smart kid? Um that was, uh, that was one of my favorite stories. Anyway, Vali, thank you. Congrats on everything. Congrats to your wife and the work she's doing. Um, and thanks for being on uh, It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Let me plug a couple things. I did, We didn't get to talk about the book you did with Steve Healy. That you can buy on Amazon. Uh, that one's called, again, where are my notes? Uh, ridiculous Race. The Ridiculous Race. And you guys went around the world in separate directions. Is that right? The idea was we raced around the other world, we
1: went in opposite directions, you weren't supposed to take airplanes, uh, but I cheated and immediately
0: started flying. to up, right? you, were home in, <laughs> you were home in two days. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's a really fun book, and GeniusAnimals.net is on there, and I'm sure there'll be some TV project coming down the road, because you are in development, as they say. Um, watch Sprung on Freebie. It's really, really funny. Thank you, Dr. D, Richard Dugan, our engineer. Jeremiah Higgins, the producer, couldn't be here today, uh, which was really a treat on having him. Uh, Just kidding. Anyway, thank you all. I'll see you next time on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack.